Welcome, everyone. This is the Virtually Church Podcast, a podcast dedicated to thinking more deeply about the differences and values between church and technology. I'm Taylor Mason, and I'm hosting this podcast alongside Jordan Mason and Jeremy Hall. We have a few episodes already planned for you for season two, like how to approach worship, um, small groups and Sunday schools, which we're going to look at today, and caring for people with special needs within the church community. But we're also wanting to open up the conversation with you. We want to tailor some of the later episodes based on your questions and concerns on this situation of being back in person, but also being virtual and how your church is going through life during the pandemic as it is right now. So if there's something specific you want us to talk about um, that may apply to your particular situation, shoot us an email or message us on Facebook. You can do that at virtuallychurch at gmail.com. That's virtually with a Y. Someone asked that a week or two ago, virtuallychurch at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook at Virtually Church and you can message us there too. We want this to be a conversation with you Um, And maybe your situations are similar to others. So I think most importantly, from our first episode, uh, we also want to say that if we continue on this conversation, we know that we're not alone in what we're going through. I think like we talked about last episode, some people feel very isolated or they kind of feel alone. But part of this podcast is to help us say, hey, we're going to navigate this world together. So many of us as ministers are trying to navigate this challenging landscape, and we hope that this podcast helps you too. So this week, we're going to be talking about small groups and or Sunday schools. So traditionally in the Baptist world, small groups are kind of pretty much just labeled Sunday schools. Sunday schools can entail uh, you know, teaching about the Bible. It can entail uh, prayer groups or hanging out, but kind of they get lumped together in the same In other traditions, sometimes they're just called small groups. So we might flip-flop between the names, but really we're trying to encompass any group of three, four to 10, 15 maybe people that get together uh, for something separate than worship at your church. So this is what we're going to explore and how to do and maybe navigate small groups or Sunday school classes uh, in this new way uh, with all these new ideas of technology. So I uh, just wanted to preface with that so that if we go back and forth between those names, you kind of know what we're doing. So let's start with you, Jeremy. Traditionally, what has the role of Sunday school or, or small groups played within uh, your church community? So yeah, thanks, Taylor. And I, I like your definition there because all of us do have different language. And even uh, my church, Townview, doesn't use either the phrase small group or Um, Sunday school, we use um, prayer groups and Bible studies to try to differentiate uh, some of what we're doing when we gather. Um, So the roles of our small groups here at Townview have been sort of support and education. So there are groups that gather to pray. There are groups that gather um, on Wednesday nights around a meal and then prayer. There are groups that gather on Sunday mornings that work through their week together and study scripture. Um, And there are groups that gather under the leadership of a dedicated teacher like myself or another pastor or guest here at the church um, for a specific outcome. So ours tend to be intentional with a goal, with a purpose in mind when we launch them. 
Yeah, I that's that's important to note because you know this can in, in, entail different things and different churches have different purposes. So I think that's that's really cool. I, I know at uh, at Kirkwood, um, you know, depending on the age, your Sunday school class or your small group might emphasize different things. So if you're younger, you're going to be learning kind of the traditional. Uh, stories of the Bible and kind of building up that area. You go into the youth, you're going to expand on that and how that might apply to, uh, you know, growing your theology and understanding how that relates to the world. And then I know um, our on Sunday mornings, we have groups that sometimes are primarily just prayer groups or uh, sometimes they're teaching and learning things about the Bible. And then we'll have spinoff classes randomly throughout the year that could still be considered a small group. That's like I taught one on racialized trauma, or we've had some around the season of Advent or Lent or whatever that is. And those would still be kind of considered right. small groups. Yeah. Um, are there any differences in the Episcopal tradition, Jordan, for this? No, I don't think there's any differences from what you guys have said. I, I do think um, one of the things I was thinking about, which is not particular to the Episcopal tradition, but just crossed my mind is that it seems like with kids, a lot of times Sunday school or these small groups are more, I don't know, like they're more about kind of fostering community and trust. And there's like a teacher who gets really involved maybe with a group of kids and kind of takes them through a curriculum. And then with adults, we tend to see small groups, I think, as more educational opportunities. And they're often sort of like series based or Bible study based, right? Like you're either reading a book and it's a six week thing or you know, maybe you're deep diving a certain theological topic or something like that. But um, it does seem to be like, I don't know, relatively common to gear the adult groups towards education. Can I ask a, a denominational question? Of course. In uh, in your tradition, do y'all do um, anything like a catechumen process or confirmation? Is that part of formation? Um, yes, it is at a certain time. I am not very educated on that because I joined the Episcopal, Ch Episcopal Church, ugh, Episcopal Church when I was already an adult, right? So I was just received into the denomination, having already been a part of another denomination. Uh, but yes, there is a confirmation similar to what Lutherans go through, where there's a certain educational, like year long curriculum, and then usually you go on a mission trip. It's like a year thing that you do with a class and then when you come back from the trip. So a small group could also be a type of rite of passage. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great point. It's uh, thinking about this, like I've, I know being a part of different churches as I've gotten older, um, it's interesting to see like some of the, the similarities that are connected with small groups that kind of, whether you're being taught something from the Bible or whether it's just a time to hang out or it's a theological topic, you know, the setting or the way of going about it sometimes changes. Like I've been a part of groups that meet in homes and you always like have a meal beforehand and then you get to like sit on someone's couch and gather around that way. Or, you know, you have the very, like we all have kind of the very stiff ch church chairs and we sit around in a circle at church or, um, you know, uh, there's been a few times I've had like you being outdoors or, or whatever the case is for, for that. But you know, the settings and what and how you might get the group together has changed, but it's been what I've always seen as similarities is like the need to, Hey, if we get together in a smaller group of people, we can have more intimate conversations, which I think is pretty cool. And I think that's been 
connected through that for a long time. Maybe the only thing that I can think of is sometimes the, the traditional idea of Sunday school in the Baptist church has really been uh, like actual school. Like you sit down, you listen, and you learn while someone teaches you something very specific. Um, but I think things have kind of changed from that a little bit more in our traditional or not tr- our traditional, but our uh, more modern style of doing church now. Um, but what we want to explore today is how this time, this moment might have changed during the pandemic, right? So back in March, we were kind of doing all of our churches were doing our normal things. And then March 15th, nobody could meet together. And there were a lot of these other ideas and new ways of like, how do we get people together? Right. So, uh, I think, um, I really should have bought stock in Zoom on March 15th. <laughs> I think that would have been a good idea, um, but I didn't, and I missed out because I think every church bought a Zoom account, mostly. I, I think some had different accounts, but Zoom and breakout classes and and all that stuff was really big. Um, I know for, for me, I had a youth small group where we were doing like youth group stuff, and I even bought a camera and started live streaming on YouTube to connect with our kids. Um, is there anything, Jeremy, that you did or like was Zoom your main area to go to as a church for small groups? Our, our first response was Zoom and we've done some experimentation, um, but the, the digital pe- faces and windows is where we have ended up regardless of the platform. And uh, something we've discovered is the teaching part of Sunday school still functions there, but the more life-based small group stuff doesn't happen as well. Yeah, I, I want to dive into that a little bit, right? So if we're going to talk about the values of technology and of our church community, this is something that Jordan brought up to me about the different forms of technology, how, you know, Zoom or like we're communicating through Zoom right now or the phone is really good at communicating information, Right, Jordan? Correct me if I'm wrong, Jordan. And by doing that, sometimes teaching uh, the Bible or teaching something theological is a transfer of information that could might easily fit into a, this technological form that isn't strictly tied to uh, relational connections. Um, Jordan, I'm going to ask you to kind of build off of that because I'm, I'm kind of losing where you were going originally from that. save him jordan save him save me you can share my ideas and i'll jump in um (laughs) yeah no i I think one thing that's important to note about these technologies right is that one of the values that they pull us towards we talked about this in season one is efficiency efficacy right like getting across information we can still hear each other we can see each other's faces right so we can do the basics of communication across zoom no problem The problem comes in more when you need some more embodied communication or embodied knowing, right? That we don't have when we're not in the room with someone. And I mean, I was just thinking as you're talking back to last summer when I was invited into a Sunday school Zoom to teach them a little bit about, um, I think it was a kingdom ethics topic, actually, some sort of some sort of ethics or bioethics topic that they had asked me to, t- to speak on. And communicating over Zoom to that Sunday school was just like 
teaching any other class that I would be a part of at SLU or wherever um, when it comes to sharing the information. However, it's a very interesting experience to be presenting when people's cameras are off, when you know, maybe they're getting a cup of coffee. You don't know if they're getting a cup of coffee or if they're they there stormed out. They yeah. have they're upset. They don't get it. They don't care about ethics, whatever the case may be. You have no clue. Um, and you can't check on people either when you're talking about something serious or you're talking about something personal to someone, which is, you know, not infrequent in small groups hmm. um, in churches it's hard to check on each other and see how people are doing in the midst of those conversations. So I, I think the experience is different. I think some of the goals behind small groups can be reached, but you know, like we're saying, others are going to be harder. Mm -hmm. One of yeah. the thinking about it, the efficacy piece of using something like zoom, it forces the conversation to be extremely formal you can't yeah. you can't just jive with it. You can't flow in conversation with people. And we've talked about how our brains don't really recognize that we're talking to a human when we're <laughs> looking at a picture of a human. We're dealing with like a simulation simulacra issue when we have so many. You're looking at a screen and then I'm looking at a screen and there's cameras and flickering pixels making everything very difficult. One of the things that we've had to do with um, I teach a I did taught one last night, a children's class of elementary school kids um, over Zoom. And we have uh, walkie-talkie rules. You say over when you're done, and you are done. <laughs> like, so that Taylor, know. what do you think of that? Over. Uh, I think that's a great idea. Over. <laughs> Otherwise, you're just stepping on everyone because you can't pick up those, the, the vibe of whose turn it is, and there's a lag in the image, so you can't see that I've taken a breath to say something. And so you either have to interrupt or be silent, and it's, it's strange. It it's is not how Southerners talk. <laughs> it, it has changed. It, it can change the way that we communicate. And I think it's been interesting now that we're kind of coming back to some degree in person that one of the big things that I've heard is let's, you know, let's never get rid of Zoom. In fact, why don't we just incorporate this into our in-person Sunday school rooms, right? So I've, I've heard of churches uh, spending a lot of money to put projector screens in, computers, cameras in the room so that some of the people in their small groups can meet while other people can stay at home for either convenience or for safety reasons or whatever the case may be. Have you so, tried that? Have you done I, it? I have not. And I, it's I have horrible. It I feel like it's a logistical nightmare. But, you know, if you think it's a legit, if the only reason you don't want to do it is because it's a logistical nightmare, if you have enough money, someone can figure it out and it won't be much of a nightmare. But uh, tell me more about your experience, Jeremy. It just for us, it just doesn't work. I experimented with it because we've got a diverse community of people that can be safe, of people who have no way to be safe, mm -hmm. of people who can be here, people who it's very inconvenient to get here. So why come if it's just gonna? So there's all sorts of factors. You all understand that. But to have some people in the room and some people on the screen, one, it creates two classes, like <laughs> stations of people. Yeah. There's there's the real people and the TV people. And they can't hear each other and they can't properly talk to each other. Um, it, it ha A lot of it has to do with that thing we were just saying that you can't tell whose turn it is 
And so the Zoom people are quiet and just observe what the real people are doing. And we're back to just watching church. And I just, I'm even trying not to say it. And I said real people. So like it it (laughs) happens and it just, the experience was awful. So I only did it once. I also, you know, I wonder, I suspect that if you're talking about some topics that are personal or difficult for people, I suspect that people at home and over Zoom will be less likely to share. I, I feel like there is a barrier to vulnerability that happens over the screen because it's so awkward because you're not getting the nonverbals from people, that feedback from people. I mean, I I recently had a, a Zoom thing for this fellowship program that I'm doing this year, and we were sharing about some very personal things about hierarchies of loyalties in our lives and who holds us accountable to our loyalties and all of these like very deep theological questions. And I got off that call and just kind of like felt so depressed. Like it's this empty feeling of like, you tell people, you know, like personal things and you hear personal things, but you can't have that human connection. It feels Mm -hmm. like you set it into the void. Mm. Right. Yeah. I, I was talking with someone, um, at our church a while back about zoom and and sunday school or small groups being on it and for them they said that i actually prefer it more because i'm a shy person so i don't and and the group that i usually meet with is pretty large so this felt a little bit more intimate and in fact like what i really liked is when we broke into smaller groups so maybe there's like 12 or 15 people on zoom and then you break out into another class and they were saying that is a lot more comfortable for me than it was when we were in person. Um, it was a lot more, it was easier. They were saying something a little different, Jordan. So of, like the opposite of what yeah, you were saying. They were yeah. saying for me, it was easier to open up because I'm already so shy. And I, I was like, oh, that's so interesting. I don't want to discredit that. I also, I think what can happen right at that moment is if we don't think if we don't pause and think deeply enough, we go that that's great. Like zoom is solving this bigger issue. Like zoom has provided us a new solution to people not wanting to share or feel connected. And that might be true, but I think we first have to ask the question, why weren't people comfortable in person with Mm -hmm. others? Um, Why was that more difficult? And is it because it sometimes just is, it's a little bit more vulnerable to be face to face or does it have something to do with the way that we had this time already structured or what we were providing content wise or what, how the conversations were going. Um, And I often don't hear people ask that question first. And I think that's really important if you're going to think about small groups in today's age. Um, If you're thinking before the pandemic, okay, if Zoom is meeting some needs that weren't meeting met or weren't being met um, before the pandemic, before we just say that solved it, let's ask what was going on. Like, were we missing something to meet those needs before the pandemic? And is Zoom the solution? Yeah, if you're having like, that, that conversation, yeah, if you're having that conversation with someone, I, I think a good thing we could do is change the language. Zoom has revealed something. Mm, This is a revelatory experience. We've realized now that what we were doing left this gap that we can now see because of our Zoom experience. It hasn't fixed it, 
it's revealed it. Mm-hmm. That's great language. And I also, what it brings to mind for me is that it's revealed a lot about introverts in our churches and in our spaces. I mean, as an introvert, I, I can't tell you the last time I went to a Sunday school class. I used to go to Sunday school only when I was teaching and I was teaching the kids. Um, they're easier on introverts than adults are oftentimes. <laughs> and, you know, maybe that's, you know, I need to do some more work and I need to go to a Sunday school class and, and brave it. But I also think we need to pay attention to what introverts are telling us about how hard Sunday school is for mm. them or how hard it is to be at church longer on a Sunday morning than we already are. Like to extend that time another hour and a half with with the same people, how difficult that is for for some introverts. So would you say, Jordan, then uh, like what would what would be some ways churches could care for introverts um, in a different way than what we've been doing in the past? Is it just offering the Zoom option for Sunday for Sunday school or is there something else that um, might be thoughtful? You know, I, if, if someone's listening to this and they're like, oh, yeah, like how could we help introverts out? Um, to still feel connected. Like we want them to be there in person, but we want them to feel comfortable in that space. I don't know. I think there's probably a lot of ideas we could brainstorm about that or that people could imagine. For starters, I think having smaller small groups could help. If somebody's saying, I feel a lot more comfortable with four or five people than Mm. with 20, you know, maybe you, you make your small groups smaller. Another thing is to build in, I think, to Sunday school, some more reflective time for people who need that. Like before you ask people to share or to pray together, like what if you said we're going to take three minutes and ponder these things before we share them, right? Or to think about what you'd like to pray for. Let's take the baptistry and turn it into a sensory deprivation tank to recharge (laughs) our introverts between events. (laughs) No, I like that though. Like I've tried to do that some with our youth. If I'm teaching in a way, like I'll realize I'll have to remind myself often, but maybe if I ask a question, um, I might ask the question and and give everyone a sheet of paper for them to write it down, which then creates a space for people to think and process. Cause I know you're right. I'll have some kids where if I ask a question, they have to process that in their head first, or maybe spend some more time thinking about it. It's not that they don't want to answer it, but if I were just like to point at them and be like, give me an answer, uh, many of them would be like, uh, I don't, I don't know. And if that's all you're doing, I mean, you could, prov- you could do that setup even on zoom too, right? It's not necessarily a technological and non-technological setting, but if you're constantly doing that, it doesn't give that space for other people that process their thoughts in a different way. Yeah. I mean, another thing is that there's a lot of contact often. I've noticed this a lot more in Baptist churches than Episcopal churches, but there's a lot of hugs. There's a lot of contact. There's a lot of close talking, right? Mm -hmm. Like we laugh about it, but it's really true. Like church people love to be close. And maybe that's why Zoom is so comfortable for introverts because there's not the physical closeness and you can kind of choose when you unmute and engage and when you stay silent and apart. Versus it's, could, it's really hard to de- like deny a hug on a Sunday morning, even if you're not feeling comfortable for a hug, because how rude does that seem? Yes. Although now the pandemic gives us very good excuses to just wave <laughs> and say peace of Christ and not give all the hugs. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, looking at um, if we're going to look at small groups, last episode, we talked about worship and we spent a lot of time 
on how churches might approach worship uh, in this setting. Um, we've already talked about it a little bit at the beginning, but how how can we approach small groups maybe in a different way or have some similarities versus the first episode of how we approach worship? What about you, Jordan? Ooh, um, well, my first thought is that small groups have a different purpose than worship. Like we've been saying, they have more of a purpose of either community building or teaching, learning. And so I, I think if we can identify the purpose of a gathering, then we can start to understand what format it should take. Um, and, and some of those will be better in person than others. There was a podcast that I just listened to a couple of days ago. It was an on being episode with um, Priya Parker. And she she's not a Christian person or what she wasn't talking about churches, but she was talking about gatherings and um, the purpose of gatherings and how COVID has really shown us that oftentimes we sort of take for granted that we all know why we're gathering. We just sort of show up at a birthday party and we're like, yeah, we're all here because of the birthday. <laughs> but like, what does that mean? And that there maybe more often should be a leader who's, who kind of says, you know, clink the glass and then 30 seconds says, we're gathering today to honor this person. You know, if you could take a minute, tell them what you know, you love about them, yada, yada. It orients the group, right? Mm. And I'm wondering if maybe we need to do some more orienting of each of these small groups um, more than than we traditionally have done. When I, I like that, and I've, I think I've tried to do something like what you're suggesting. When I start a class or a small group or a Zoom meeting, um, I start with like, I, I, I tip my cards and I share my agenda and like a mission and vision statement. Like, this is what we're going to do. This is what it looks like if we succeeded. Here's the order that I'm planning this conversation to go in. And sometimes like um, with the, I mentioned I did a kids group last night. All of our, uh, all of my kid classes are based around curiosity. We look at something and then wonder about it together. And I reveal to them here and I put in the chat, here are the three questions I'm going to ask you about everything we talk about today. And, and maybe putting all of that in front helps define the space better than showing up because it's Sunday or Wednesday or whatever. Yeah, I, I think ministers like myself uh, do a good job of doing that for myself. So I, I think I do a good job and I think ministers in general do a good job of having conversations and thinking uh, deeply about what the purpose of their groups are for, but I I think I don't do the best of jobs of articulating that to the people I'm working with. So I often see ministers and sometimes myself saying, "Oh, well, it'll just kind of sh- reveal itself in the work." Like if I, like if if I the spirit is there of that this is really meant to be a spiritual transformational time. And I just set up the things that I plan. I don't have to articulate it uh, directly. Maybe it'll just kind of happen. And you know, there's times where that's kind of cool. Um, but I think you're right, Jordan, that sometimes it needs to be stated a lot more often up front to let other people in on your thoughts and the reasons that we're here. And then people buy into that and they go, oh, okay. Oh, I, I had no clue. I thought this was just time where we ate dinner. 
You know, mm-hmm. it's like, no, this is supposed to be trans- transformational in a way because of these things that we do. E- and I even, think that's really important. Go ahead, Jeremy. Yeah, even with spaces that are more open and nebulous, I, I think there's room to define the relationship. Um, there's <laughs> there's a tradition that I inherited in this youth group, um, which they, they call, they do it at the end of their retreats and they call it their Quaker service. They don't actually know what that means, but they've lifted the general (laughs) idea of traditional Quaker worship where they have a time of spirit-led, undefined worship encounter with themselves, with each other, with God. But it only works if we define what it is. We, we bring the, we tell the kids like there's a meeting before we do it. Yeah. This is going to be a spiritual experience. This is how we end our retreats. This is a chance for you to encounter the change that you've experienced. This is for you to face yourself, face each other, face God. Here are the things we're going to do. This is how it's going to work. You're going to drive it, but here are the 12 buttons you can push. Here are the levers that are available to you. You can sing. You could pray. You could share. You could confess. You could forgive. You could confront. Here are the things that happen in this space and why and what we hope happens. And these tend to be really beautiful experiences. One time it turned into a Christmas carol sing on a summer trip and I hated it. But every other time it's been beautiful. (laughs) One time they just sang carols. Got to be open to the spirit. The the spirit was feeling Christmassy and I am Scrooge. Yes, I I think humans need parameters. We need there there can be spaces for creativity and spontaneity, but if we don't have those framings, then it's hard to have a transformational experience because you're just sort of wondering why are we here or trying to read people to figure out the parameters versus just being explicit about it. I I I think that's some stuff that I've seen often is that those parameters aren't set or explicitly made clear or understood. And yeah, I think you're right, Jordan. If, if we spend more time thinking about that, um, and providing that structure, uh, whatever it is, whether it's the purpose is prayer, right? Like we're just a group, we're a small group that gets together to pray, you know? Um, but that's what we're going to do. And, I know going into that, that that's what we're going to do versus are we going to do something else or what are the case? Or we're here to study, like we're actually going to work our way through different books of the Bible, or we're here to talk theologically about, you know, philosophical ideas and theological ideas about our faith, or we're here just to like have a great meal together and talk about life. Um, and I think also the the point of doing that is one, so people feel comfortable, but two, it's also to start to dictate our relationships with technology in those spaces, because like the whole purpose of this conversation is that it's going to be different depending on the purpose of the gathering. So an educational opportunity where you're doing a book study or you have a teacher, um, you're, you're doing something academic, then sure, maybe you can communicate that Zoom is an appropriate platform for that. And then maybe if you're having a meal and you're saying, we're going to eat together and pray together, here's why our bodies need to be in the same space. Yeah. There was, uh, in the spring, I taught a class on racialized trauma. We read through the book, um, my grandmother's hands by Rizma Minicum. And 
uh, which is a great book. He was also interviewed on the On Being podcast uh, with Krista Tippett, but his book is really good. And it walks you through his argument basically is that part of like at the, at the core, at the bottom of, of racism in America and within the world is, is like bodily and racial, like historical trauma that gets passed down from generation to generation in different ways. It's really fascinating. Um, and part of that is to work through your own racialized trauma, whether it's, uh, how your body reacts in different spaces, whether, me as a white person puts myself in a black space of all black people and then just reflect on how my body is reacting. Like if my heart is beating. Um, when I was teaching that class, we were going to process all of that. And the question was, can we do this over zoom? And I was thinking, well, the whole point of this is for us to look inward towards our bodies and work through how our bodies are reacting to other bodies. And if we just put this on Zoom, we're missing like kind of the whole point of the book, uh, the whole point of this work. So I said, we're going to do this in person safely. And we have this huge room and we put people spread out and some people couldn't hear. So I had to mic people. It was, it was kind of crazy, but it was a lot of fun. And I really don't think there's any way we could have gone through that work without being physically in person in person. But that decision was made against the idea of more people could have joined if we'd done it on Zoom um, or it would have been easier for people to hear because people, some people had hearing issues. But we, had we to, wouldn't have had to cancel class that night that it snowed. Yeah. 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 We could have done class instead of canceled it because of the weather or whatever the case is. And I think you're right, Jordan. That's kind of the whole point of using this framework for small groups. What is the purpose stating that for everyone and then determining whether or not the technology can provide that or if it actually hinders that purpose. That's, yeah, that's great. So like you taught a class about embodied experience and that needs to be like, if I did that here, we would probably sit at my church has a back porch because we're very Southern. We'd yeah. sit on the back porch and talk under ceiling fans in the open air. Mm -hmm. I did a class a few weeks ago that was just a, a close look at um, several passages of scripture, and it was a straight. It was an information I was teaching yeah. that seemed to work over Zoom because it was people attending a talk. So if we know what we're doing, we can find the right tool for it. Yeah is is that is is that lecture or that talk or that teaching time, you know are you getting across what you think needs to be getting across? And if it's doing that over zoom, it's not necessarily a bad thing to do that over zoom. Yeah. And we, it's we, also just good. Oh, sorry. I interrupted you. Are you. So I was just going to say, we structured it like a lecture. Cause that's what it was. I presented. And then the 15 people on the chat had a chance for Q and a, where I asked Taylor, do you have a question? Jordan, yeah. do you have a question? And everyone had a turn to speak and they knew at the end, you will have a turn to speak. Yeah, I think that's great. I, the The one thing I just wanted to remind us of that we talked about in season one is that, yes, if you know the purpose, you can find the right tool for it. And yet we should always be aware that these tools are enabling some things and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Disabling. Uh, 
Yeah, disabling, disabling other things. <laughs> yeah, when we use the tool, the tool uses us. But yeah, exactly. So, so Zoom, sure, it can be a great format for, you know, a lecture type thing. At the same time, we have to re realize and recognize that there are some things that will be lost, like the, the mirror neurons type, mm -hmm. um, type thing. So yeah, that's like in that space, I was extremely powerful. <laughs> I yeah. moderated the Zoom. I could mute you if you talked out of turn. I was the one with the big fancy microphone who had the prepared talk, who talked into a fancy camera from an official space while everyone else sat at home with their laptop or their phone and watched me. That changes our relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And not to say that that's bad, just to be aware. Yeah. Okay, so I had one other question that I wanted to ask uh, that's kind of um, regardless of the pandemic uh, or maybe the pandemic has realized something, if if you could make any changes and maybe I'm going to ask this to the audience too uh, and you can answer it on your own or you could send us your answers, that'd be kind of cool. But if you could make any changes about small groups or Sunday schools without anyone in the church being upset or having a problem with it, uh, what would it be and why? I think Jeremy should go first. Yeah. Go I should, oh, okay. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to put you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any thoughts? Yes. I think someone else should speak. Um, <laughs> if I could wave a magic wand and change something, I think what it would be would be to normalize the stating the purpose at the start of mm. everything that all of our all of our small groups would have that a clear mission and vision for them and a name that reveals it. No more silly names, church. Your youth group is not in fuego. It is youth group. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No more silly names. But yeah, if everyone knew this is a prayer group, here is our goal. This is a Bible study. Here is our goal. This is a life group. Here is our goal. I think that could yeah. make them work better yeah. if we had a clear tell us we could achieve it i would say uh something that that would actually fit with that is that i would like to see more opportunities that are taken out of the sunday morning at church space hmm. and maybe there are spaces for small groups to be sort of into like put into our weekly rituals so like a Wednesday night at my house or a Wednesday night at someone's house, you know, something that that brings the church community sort of out of the church building on a Sunday morning um, and more integrated into our lives, I think would really help to foster Christian community in some different ways. And not to say that that doesn't already happen, but a lot of churches have lost that over the pandemic, just trying to bring things down to the bare bones. And I, I really miss those types of gatherings. Yeah, I was going to say the kind of the same thing. Like I would change the space if possible and maybe the time. Um, one of the, the things that I did, and it worked for my group. So uh, the ministry council that I meet with, um, most people are retired or they have flexible lunch hours. So instead of doing the traditional, what we've always done, which is meet Monday nights at 6.30 p.m., we've decided to change it to uh, lunch, like, like tw 12 to one at the church. And, um, 
it's actually like everyone said they enjoyed it so much better. They're like, oh, this is great. I had one person that has bad eyesight and they were like, it's so much better for me because I don't have to drive at night and I can still be here and be involved. I had other people that said this was great because it kind of it kind of gives us a cap on when we're meeting together. Um, what I would also change with Sunday school, I have two things, would be the the length to a degree. I think sometimes the way that we have things structured, you have it right before worship. So you're capped and then you have to kind of rush to get to the next place. And if you're in choir, you have to leave early and do all this. And it's hard to cultivate meaningful, thoughtful conversations when you're on a real time crunch, especially when it's about spirit, like spiritual things. Deep intimate and- prayer does not start with crap, the service is in five minutes. All right, let's yeah. pray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And some of the most meaningful things that in spiritual moments that I've had with small groups, especially with youth, have been um, where the time isn't, you know, it, it, you have enough time for the moment to uh, move in the direction that it needs to go. So it might be a shorter conversation, it might be a longer conversation, but I think that would be really cool. And make that space regardless of whether or not people's schedules are really busy, because I think it could be a really meaningful, important like time to put in your life. All right. So that is small groups. That was really good. I hope that uh, listening, that this was helpful. Maybe you still have some questions about small groups. Please write into us virtually church at gmail.com. Um, the last thing that we do to end the episodes is we, um, share where we see some hope in the world. Um, for you, uh, listening, um, I've sent notes and the printout of this to Jeremy and Jordan twice now, and I keep forgetting to change, uh, this section. It's supposed to say hope in the world, but it, for two weeks in a row, it said home in the world, H O M E, which is funny. Jordan pointed it out to me. Um, but it's a podcast, so no one else will, well, everyone knows now. So anyway, <laughs> Uh, so don't tell the- <laughs> anyone this will be between you and us, dear listener. You and us. Yeah. So the hope in the world, where, where did you guys see hope in the world this week? I think Jordan should talk first. Okay. I'll go first. <laughs> I have something to say. Um, so I don't know if you guys have all heard, but the Sequoias are on fire. Um, the Sequoia national park out in California, it it's, on fire. A lot of it is on fire, meaning the giant sequoias, right? Like the 2000 year old trees are, are on fire. And, um, we, Taylor and I just went to the sequoias this year earlier in the spring in May and saw them. And I completely fell in love with those trees. And so it's been really heartbreaking to hear about them being on fire, but I just listened to another podcast. I guess I'm plugging podcasts today. Um, it was a shortwave episode on the people who are fighting those fires. They're out there wrapping these trees in like tinfoil, right? And they're doing these crazy things for for the the trees that we all love that are ancient. It's really hard to see something that old and special um, die. And so I'm just glad there are people fighting those fires. Hmm. Um, I saw Hope in the World this week. We just had a really big annual uh, volunteer event called hands on Kirkwood and to watch even uh, even while it was downcast and gloomy and rainy to watch people in the community come together and sort food that's been donated or work on people's yards or work on people's homes um, or you know check 
like we have a car check where people make sure, you know, you have enough oil in your car, do little things like that for the community. Um, it's really cool when, you know, it's great that my church community works, but it's also cool to see other people that I've never met before from the community just come in just to care for other people in their neighborhood. And in the midst of all the stuff that's going on, that's always a really encouraging thing to see like each year. So that's been really cool. Awesome. Uh, this, this past week on Thursday, uh, some dear friends of mine here at the church and who, who live, Taylor one time lived in my attic. These people live in my basement. I will give no further context for either of those statements. Uh, <laughs> so some friends that live with us uh, just had uh, their second child. Brought him home uh, last night, Yay. but uh, we we found out that they would have the the baby via C-section on Thursday, and so on Wednesday night in a Zoom Bible study, um, our senior pastor shared in that space that while we need to pray for our friends, they're having a child uh, tomorrow at this hospital. Someone in that uh, group is a NICU nurse at that hospital. And so she went and adjusted a bunch of stuff so that she could be in that room to support them and uh, pulled some strings and got this uh, uh, young little family into the, the maternity suite for like parents of multiples Whoa. where they, they said they felt like they were on vacation, the level of oh care and gosh. attention and comfort that is given to that suite specifically. Um, and so just seeing church function in that sort of way where we, as a pastor, nothing warms my heart, like seeing uh, our people be church to each other outside of the building, out in the wild, spontaneous church in the real world. That's the kingdom. That's beautiful. That's awesome. Well, Jeremy and Jordan, it's been a really great seeing you today. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. And also, thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed our conversations, please, please, please subscribe to our podcast for new episodes. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, um, wherever you find your podcasts. And leave us a comment on our podcast page. Uh, if you you know, give us five stars or, or leave us a little comment on Apple or Spotify, that helps other people discover us. So if you haven't done that already, please do that. Next week, we're going to talk about... Um, uh, special needs. Uh, not next week. Sorry. We're doing this every other week. So um, our next episode is going to be about special needs. Uh, we have uh, uh, Jordan and I have a friend that we've got on a long conversation about how technology can help people with special needs, but bringing it in conversation with this podcast. So we're going to explore that next time. And we hope that you'll join us. If you have questions about that specifically, if you've had encounters or your church works with people with special needs, we would love to know about that. So you can let us know on our Facebook page or check us out at virtuallychurch at gmail.com. Um, so thank you once again for listening. Uh, and Jordan, Jeremy, thanks again. This was, this was great. And I love you guys. Bye. Bye.